following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. I wonder if any of y'all are familiar with the concept of a rags-to-riches story. I'm sure that most of you probably are, but a rags-to-riches story is something that occurs in real life, but also occurs many times in in great novels, where where there's a person who has absolutely nothing. Maybe it's, it's an orphan child, someone who is completely and totally destitute. And one day... Somewhat out of the blue, they're all of a sudden taken from their estate as an orphan, as a street urchin, as someone who has absolutely nothing, and they're taken to an estate of great riches, of great wealth, of power even. You see this kind of thing in in many of the old uh, fairy tales which talk about Princesses who didn't start off as princesses, right, young ladies. They were, they were just ordinary girls, peasant girls. And then one day the prince came by and, and saw them and said, well, I want to marry that girl. And then all of a sudden she's taken from her place as a peasant and, and made part of the family of the prince and king. You see the same kind of thing in many of Charles Dickens' novels. There's some young boy who all of a sudden is blessed with, with great riches, and he must kind of find his place uh, in the world after, after that great change in his life. And we tend to like these kind of stories uh, because we look at them and we say something like, well, wouldn't it be great if I went from my current position to all of a sudden having these great riches? Like especially for seminary students, We think, wouldn't it be great if if I went from where I am right now to not having to worry about bills or tuition or anything like that. But the fantastic and amazing thing, beloved, is here in in this text before us this evening, in Ephesians chapter 1, we're told an amazing, marvelous truth. Everyone who is in Christ has a rags-to-riches story. Anyone who is in Christ has immeasurable riches because they have the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, this text in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verses 3 through 14, if you know anything about this, you know that really it's all one long sentence. Paul begins a benediction there in verse 3. He begins to bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he just keeps going. He can't stop. He's so uh, amazed with the great riches which God has lavished upon us that he has to expound upon every single one of these spiritual blessings. He, He just needs to unfold it. It's as though Paul has gotten to the storehouses of the treasures of heaven and he throws open the first door and then he comes down and he throws open the next door and he throws open the next door. He just wants to show the Ephesians and all others who would read this passage the great glories of Christ. He shows in 3 through 14 the great riches of the blessings which the Christian has in the spiritual places in Christ, 
uh, showing how we have that throughout time, showing how each person of the Trinity is, is involved in this great and glorious salvation of people. It's, it's a beautiful text and one which we do not have the time to go through in its entirety this evening. So this evening, I want to draw our attention especially to verses 3 through 6, where the immeasurable grace of God is demonstrated in the spiritual blessings we have in Christ, especially that which we see in God's loving choice of us to be part of his people. What we see here, the first of these great blessings, God's loving choice of us to be part of his people. And so we will look then at, at the blessing uh, set forth in, in verse 3 and 4, and then, then we will look at, at the blessing expounded upon there, and then the second half of verse 4 through verse 6. We see then this great blessing. Uh, look with me at verse 3. We read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. As I've said, Paul begins with a benediction, the blessing of Christ. And indeed, that, that's the entire purpose of this section, is to draw the readers to that realization of what God has done so that we will, together with Paul, bless our God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul begins with blessing God, and he gives us the reason why we should bless God. It's because we have been blessed. We have received from God those things which we did not deserve, indeed which we could never deserve on our own merit. We are blessed by God. Now, typically when people think of blessings, we think more of uh, physical, uh, material goods. Some of you people around my own age might remember about a decade ago how popular the hashtag blessed was on social media. These people would, would show something that had happened in their life and they'd tag it as they were blessed. Well, they were focused on material things. But what we see here in verse 3 is that it is not just material things which are blessing. Indeed, the better blessing which we have are spiritual blessings. The very treasures of heaven which we have and the crown jewel of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, as you work your way through this text, you'll notice that there's, there's a common refrain throughout the text. All of these blessings are ours in Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself who is the greatest blessing in the heavenly places, the very crown jewel of heaven and so, while Paul expounds upon all the other blessings, we must keep in mind the great focus is Christ himself, the crown jewel. So, Paul begins to teach us of the first of these spiritual blessings in verse uh, 4. He said that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he that is the Father chose us in him, that is Christ, 
before the foundation of the world. So the first spiritual blessing that Paul wants his readers to know about, that Paul wants you to know about, dearly beloved, is election in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's choice of a people to save them, to bring them in to his community. And this happens in the Lord Jesus Christ. It can never happen outside of Christ. It is in Christ alone that we have salvation. So we see the person in whom our election stands, Christ. We also see in verse 4 when that election took place. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. This statement demonstrates God's great mercy, God's great grace, God's great love towards people. That before anything was even made, before you had done anything good or bad, before you existed, were even a thought in someone else's mind besides God, yet God set his love upon those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We did not even exist, and yet God still loved us and placed his claim upon us who are in Christ. Now, there before the foundation of the world, we see God's great mercy and grace displayed. God, in his decrees, which we confess together, from the larger catechism, decided that he was going to save sinners. How great and glorious is that statement? God decided to save sinners. He didn't have to. He was not obligated to. And yet, out of the great goodness of his mercy and grace, yet He chose to save a people for himself. We see also in verse 3, 4, excuse me, the purpose of this election. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, and he chose us, as it says, that we would be holy and blameless before him. See, the purpose of God's election is to save a people for himself, to set apart a people for himself, a holy people, people who both live a life of holiness, but the phrase uh, people holy to himself ought also to draw our attention back to God's choosing of the people of Israel. In the Old Testament, if you think back to passages uh, like Leviticus 19.2, that's where God tells the people of Israel, you shall be holy, for I, Lord your God, am holy. You see, this, this phrase, electing us to be a people holy to him, is an indication that God had elected a people to be part of his covenant people. The people through uh, the mediator Jesus Christ, he would save. You know what a covenant is, children. You've, you've had it explained to you before. This is, this is a great uh, agreement where a king 
will, will condescend. He'll, he'll stoop down to someone who's beneath him, and he'll make a promise to them. God does that for sinners. He makes a promise to them that in the Lord Jesus Christ there is salvation, and if they will trust in Christ, he will be their God. He made the same promise to Israel, that he would be their God and they would be his people, that they should follow him and walk in his ways and obey his laws. They would be a holy people, a set-apart people, a peculiar people, not a weird people or strange people, but a particular people, different from the surrounding nations, demonstrating the greatness of Jehovah God. And this was the purpose of God's choosing ancient Israel, the Old Testament church, and this is God's purpose in choosing believers now, that they would be a holy people, set apart, displaying the great goodness and glory of Jehovah God to everyone around them. But they're to be a holy people. We're also to be blameless before him. We're to be a people set apart. We're also to be uh, a people whose conduct throughout the world must be above reproach, blameless before God. Now, you certainly are thinking to yourself, I'm sure, I'm not blameless. I'm not holy outside of Christ. And indeed, that's the whole reason why God chose us. Because in ourselves, we never could be holy and blameless before him. We needed God's sovereign love set upon us that he would work uh, throughout his means to bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ. This, This election, this This choosing of us is necessary for our salvation. Apart from that, we would have no salvation. We would not be in Christ. So we're called to be a people holy and blameless, set apart before God. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 11, the Lord speaks to Israel, tells them, you are a holy people, to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keeps his commandments. The Lord's words to his Old Testament church Israel are are the same things which we see here in this passage and Ephesians. We were chosen not because of anything in ourselves, but we were chosen to be something, a people for God. We were shown to be a demonstration of God's great loving kindness and grace, to be a people in covenant with the Lord God. So we see then this uh, blessing set forth 
That we have indeed been chosen in Christ by the Father before time began. What do, what do we do with this? Is there any practicality to this doctrine? Well, there's a great deal. Yes. First, what you should do with this, beloved, is make your calling and election sure. It's what we are commanded to do in 2 Peter 1. The apostle there says, make your calling and election sure. He'd just gone through, through a list of things in the Christian life, and, and Peter wanted his readers to make sure that they were indeed trusting in Christ, that they were indeed part of God's people. Their actions, their lives would demonstrate that. And accordingly, I, I exhort you, make your calling and election sure. How do you do that? A good place to start is to go to 1 John, that epistle, whose whole purpose is for the believer's assurance. It gives several tests to see whether or not you are in the faith. Go through and read that and compare your life to it. You find yourself falling short. Cry out to the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith. You find yourself not falling short. Maybe read 1 John again. Make your calling and election sure. There is no more important thing for you to do than this. Make sure that you are in Christ so that you might do that thing which you have been created to do, to glorify God and to enjoy Him. It is only through Christ that you can do that. So make your calling and election sure. And as you have been elected to be a people holy and blameless before God, I exhort you to be a people holy and blameless. In reliance upon the Holy Spirit, walk in God's ways. Obey God's law. You cannot do that in your own strength. Children, you cannot grit your teeth, squint your eyes and say, all right, today, all by myself, through all of my own strength, I'm going to obey God's law perfectly. You cannot. But through the Holy Spirit's help, you can live a life of faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to walk in God's law, in God's ways. So I exhort you, do that. Live a life holy and blameless. Be a peculiar people. People who are set apart. And live a life blameless. One uh, that before the world demonstrates your faith in Christ. We see then the, the great blessing set forth, but Paul does not just stop there. It's saying, election, it's there. No, he, he begins to expound upon this great doctrine. We see that in verses 5 and 6, uh, an exposition, the great beauties of this doctrine. Look with me to verse 5. At the end of verse 4, 
In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. And so the apostle then brings us from election in general to this specific facet of this doctrine. Adoption as sons. You see, even as as God elected us, chose us to be a holy people, a people set apart, his covenant people, he also chose us to be members of his family. Uh, The great doctrine of adoption is, is here set forth by the apostle. God predestined us to adoption as sons. Now, you know what adoption is, and in the ancient world, it was very much the same. And in fact, our modern practices of adoption are all based on the old Roman practices of adoption. And in ancient Rome, a child who was adopted was, was taken either from a, a lesser family into a greater family, or even sometimes taken from, from no family into any family who decided to adopt him. But the child didn't really have a say in this whole process. The child was brought from a lesser family to a greater family through the act of the patriarch, the head of the greater family. It was his work. It was his purpose. Typically in ancient Rome, this this paterfamilias would not have an heir, and so he would find the firstborn son of another family to adopt so that he would have an heir. That child did not really have a say. It was, it was desired by the adoptive parents, and, and it happened outside of the child's will. But another aspect of that adoption was that the child who was adopted would be a permanent part of the family he was adopted into. And this holds true today. Once a child is adopted today, once a child was adopted in ancient Rome, there is no disinheriting of that child. The name of that family is placed upon them, and it is theirs forever. That is what God has done for us who are in Christ Jesus. God took us, who were dead in our trespasses and sins, who were children of our father, the devil. He saved us, and he brought us into his family, and he placed his name upon us. And as surely as God's word stands sure through all generations, that name is upon those who have been chosen in Christ forever. There is no disinheriting. There is no rejection. Once you have been adopted into God's family, you are his child forever. Forever having the glorious name of the God of the universe stamped upon you. Does that not bring you great joy and gladness? As you think back to to your life, even if you grew up uh, in a Christian family and and you've you've known throughout almost all of your life who God is and, and what Christ Jesus has done to save sinners, yet you can still look at your life and and see how 
far you fall short of God's law, and, and yet God still places his name upon you in Christ. How glorious, how beautiful. The God of the universe would give you his name. Well, that is part of this great uh, election that we have. And we see also uh, God's disposition towards those whom he has chosen. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, and he did it according to the kind intention of his will. The kindness of God's will. He predestined us in love and according to the kind intention of his will. His disposition towards those whom he has chosen is kindness and love. Sometimes, sometimes when you are being chastened by God, you might wonder, ah, does God actually love me? Yes, he does. Because if God is chastening you, He's disciplining you and purifying you so that you will be holy and blameless before him. Children, sure there have been times when you have been disciplined by your parents. Perhaps you were taken to get a spanking and, and your mom or your dad said, I'm doing this because I love you. And maybe you thought, I don't think so. Spanking's not going to feel good but they are doing it because they love you, because they want to see you grow and mature and be someone who does what is right, someone who follows after God's ways. That is the purpose of your parents' discipline, and that is the purpose of God when he chastens us. It's not because he is an angry, vindictive God, just waiting for someone to mess up so that he can strike them. He's loving and kind towards his people, towards his adopted children. That's why he adopted them, because of his kind intention. And it's according to the kind intention of his will. This adoption, this election is all based in the will of God. It's not by the human will, by our own efforts, by our own uh, inward desires that this has been accomplished. It is according to God's will. See, we many times have a misunderstanding of, of God's will versus the human will, and we kind of try to equalize them. Well, the scriptures are clear that, that God's will is over and above all things, especially the will of a sinner, one who is dead in trespasses and sins. How can dead men will to do anything good? They cannot. Sinners who, who have not yet been, been saved, the inclinations of their heart are only evil continually. They do not will to be saved, but God according to the kind intentions of his will, desired to save. And so he elected and predestined to adoption a people for himself. 
The Lord's great mercy and grace here are so evidently displayed that he would be kind, make us part of his family. It truly is, as, as, as Paul expresses in verse 3, such a blessing. So glorious. It is something which, which we should be so very excited about and eager to praise God for. And indeed, that is the purpose of this. That is what Paul says in verse 6. All of this is election, this predestination to adoption, according to the kind intention of his will, is to the praise of of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. The whole purpose of all of this is so that God would be glorified, that God could show forth his greatness to all of the world, exhibiting his mercy, his grace, his love, his kindness through a people saved from the bondage of sin. It's to the glory of God that all of these things occur. It's to the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed. You might think of of the bestowal of God's graces as, well, God kind of hands out a little bit of grace at a time. It's kind of like a rich man who who sees a beggar on the street and opens up his wallet and hands him uh, a little bit of money. Is that how God bestows his grace? That's... The idea that sometimes we, we mistakenly have, but, but that's not how God bestows his grace. It, it's free. It's, it's abundant. Instead of a rich man just handing a, a poor man a couple of bills out of his wallet, it's him taking the rich man to his mansion and saying, everything's yours. That is the great glory of, of the riches of God's grace that he has lavished upon us, which he has freely bestowed on us in Christ Jesus. The beloved. As I said earlier, all of these things cannot ever be separated from the one uh, in whom we have been placed, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your election is in Christ. You have been adopted as sons through Christ to the praise of God's grace that we have in Christ, the beloved. Lord Jesus Christ, the one who, the beloved Son of God, came to do all the Father's will, who lived a perfect life and who died upon the cross for the sins of his people. This Christ is who we have all of these abundant riches of spiritual blessing. So this this predestination to adoption. It should teach you, your saints, to be confident in your salvation. Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ right now? Do you look to him as your only hope in life and in death right now? That is an excellent indication that you have been adopted into the family of God cannot love the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him and not have been regenerated by God's spirit, chosen by God. And 
So if this is true of you, if you are trusting in Christ, be confident in your salvation. You have been adopted into the family of God. Be confident that when you sin, you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Be confident that you can approach God's throne through Christ by the Spirit because He's made atonement for you. Be confident that you can call God your Father because He has given you the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Be confident, your saints, in this salvation. Look to Christ. You are not looking to Christ right now as your only hope. I call upon you to do so. Look at this great truth. Cry out to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you and, and make you one of his adopted children. Another thing that we must take away from this is that as God's covenant people, as the adopted children of God, we must love one another with brotherly love. We're blessed right now at Antioch to have a small and very close-knit congregation. We have many chances to show each other love each week. And I rejoice to see such displays week in and week out. Lord willing, our, our congregation will continue to grow. We'll have more opportunities to love with brotherly love. And sometimes when congregations grow, personality conflicts arise. But even then, if we are adopted children of God, and we are, we trust in Christ, and we must love those who trust in Christ with a brotherly love. Cannot hold grudges, be unforgiving and unloving towards them. We must, because of the great love with which God loved us, love those who trust in Christ. Love them with brotherly love. And we must also, this evening, this week, the rest of our lives, praise God for his abundant grace. We must praise him. We must rejoice. This is the reason why he has chosen us and made us his children. It is to the praise of the glory of his grace. It is so that we may accomplish our chief end, glorifying God, praising God, rendering to him the worship which he deserves. So I exhort you then, dear ones, praise God. Praise him wholeheartedly for all that he has done, and especially praise him for this great grace which he shows to us in Christ. Well, I trust that you see that if you are in Christ, you have a salvation that was planned before the foundation of the world. Salvation which, uh, wherein God chose, set his name upon you, marked you out as one of his people. 
I trust you see the immeasurable grace of God demonstrated in the spiritual blessing that we have in Christ, namely that God chose us and placed us in his family. We see that with this election comes from the great love and grace of God. It brings us into his, his covenant people, brings us into the very family of God, uh, and has the purpose of glorifying God by demonstrating his great power and changing the lives of a people who were once far off and, and have now been brought near through Christ. I trust you see all of these things. And if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if indeed this great love of God has been shown to you, glorify God with all of your thoughts, words, and deeds. Proclaim to the world the great glory of God. Remember the riches which he has lavished on you, these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, so that he might be honored as he deserves. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.